hey kids, y'all can go sit with your parents or you can stay on the rug, whatever, whatever works for you. And maybe talk to your parents before you make the decision to stay. Sorry, parents in advance. <laughs> Will you all join me in prayer? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think it is fair to say that most of us are pretty self-absorbed. For the most part, there may be a few exceptions out there. A lot of us here are probably concerned with ourselves. What's best for my life? What's best for my family? What helps me get ahead? What validates the emotions or the experiences that I have had? Now, in most of our defenses, we know ourselves really well. We know the daily inner workings that go on inside of our heads. We know our ulterior motives and the things that make us tick. It makes sense that we can be self-absorbed because we are with us all the time, all day. We want to be happy. We want enjoyable lives. We want what is best for us. And our society reiterates this self-absorbance. There are sayings like, no one thinks about you as much as you think about you. Or, gotta look out for number one. It's kind of accepted to an extent in our society that we are expected to be self-absorbed. Or at the very least, self invested. This week, like probably many of you, I found myself forced to look away from myself for a moment when NASA began releasing photographs taken by the Webb Telescope. Stars have always been an interest of mine. They're pretty. What's not to like? What child or middle schooler doesn't love doodling stars on their notebook? I also find it fascinating that stars can live for around one billion years. So when we see stars at the sky, in the sky, we're witnessing something really old. And if you have the opportunity to look at stars through a really strong telescope, some of the stars you see through that telescope may have already died. It's just really mind-blowing to me in general, the stars and galaxies. But then, to see these images produced by the Webb Telescope, I was humbled to an even different level. All of the photos are breathtaking. They're breathtaking because of their sharpness, and they're breathtaking to me in particular because they look really fake. It looks like something someone would create for like a background on a song slide or something, but it's reality captured by this telescope. And out of all of the photos that came out this week, one really stopped me in my tracks, the Carina Nebula. There's a lot of sciencey stuff written by NASA on this particular photo. The tallest peaks that you can see are seven light years high which don't really have a reference for that, but seems really tall. Uh, There is gas and dust due to radiation that you can kind of see there. There are stellar nurseries. I mean, this photo is jam-packed with all things science. 
as a non-scientist, it wasn't the captions or the descriptions that took my breath away. It was the sheer vastness and the obvious reminder of what a small piece of the puzzle I am in our universe. It was humbling in a way that's almost too difficult to explain. This morning, we continue our sermon series, The Bible on Broadway. Last week, we talked about Jesus' parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, and then we looked at the Broadway musical, Into the Woods. Highly recommend. We learned that it is important to our faith that we keep searching and growing, that it is okay to ask questions and to rethink our faith as we grow. Today, our musical is Dear Evan Hansen. It is a story about a high school boy, Evan, who misleads a family and his classmates in a pretty big and damaging way. The film version of this musical is currently streaming on HBO Max. It is rated PG-13, and it does contain suicide and mental health struggles, full warning parents. That is where Evan's story actually begins. Evan struggles with social anxiety that manifests with him having a hard time making relationships with other students, and he sees a therapist regularly throughout. After a fluke encounter, Another loner at the school, Connor, he signs Evan's cast because Evan has a broken arm and a fresh new cast. However, Connor, the other loner, signs the cast in a kind of bullying way. You can note in the photo, he writes his name really, really large where you can't miss it. And he does so in a way to kind of make fun that Evan doesn't have anyone else signing his cast. Connor the bully, the loner kid, he goes on to take his own life. And Evan is left with this really big reminder of Connor on his arms. Connor's parents see Evan's cast and a few other coincidences, and they assume that Evan and Connor must have been friends. Instead of correcting them, Evan lets this assumption grow. Instead, he, he doesn't just let it grow, he adds to it. He says, oh yeah, we had all of these relationships. We were best friends. As you can imagine, this all blows up and Evan has to face up to the fact that he misled a family in a really, really damaging way. Evan has to be honest about who he is and realize that his deception has hurt a whole bunch of people. Evan, like we mentioned, has a number of personal struggles, ones that are for sure out of his control and others that he brings on with his own actions. Evan has to figure out who he is in the middle of all of this chaos. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 43, which is part of what uh, scholars actually refer to as second Isaiah, which is kind of the second half of Isaiah. 
Um, it is considered to be a lot more redemptive and uh, hopeful than the first half of Isaiah. And it is written for the Israelites who are in exile. The exiles are faced with a tough decision. Since they have been in exile, they have rebuilt a little bit of who they are. So they were taken from their homelands. They're in a brand new place and they're sad and they miss their homeland, but they deal with what's been dealt to them. So they begin making these relationships and making these new traditions and memories. They've rebuilt a little bit about who they are. There is stability in a sense for these Israelite exiles, even though they're no longer in their homeland. They're instead in the land of their conquerors. They're in Babylon. The Israelites have a number of personal struggles, some that are out of their control and others that were brought about by their own actions. The Israelites in exile's future is uncertain. Let's read Isaiah's words from God to the exiles. Isaiah 43, one through seven. But now says the Lord to the Israelites, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be scorched and flame won't burn you. I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. I give people in your place and nations in exchange for your life. Don't fear, I am with you. From the east, I'll bring your children. From the west, I'll gather you. I'll say to the north, give them back. And to the south, don't detain them. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. The exiles are deep in their struggles, and it's there that they hear this voice of God, a voice reminding them that they are not alone, and that even though there's so much going on in the world and in their own lives, God knows them. God calls them. God claims them. Even though they've lived as exiles, they are God's people. I don't know if the Israelites were self-absorbed. I know they were human, and they probably worried about themselves and their futures. And I'm confident that in their exile, they were probably humbled because of the many hardships they faced. And dear Evan Hansen, Evan finds himself feeding more and more into this deception because he likes the feeling of being needed and being included and being a part of the drama for a change. 
Evan does what is best for him at the moment and not what is morally right. Before Evan's deception is discovered, he gives a speech to the whole school that is actually eventually streamed online and goes viral. And in this speech, it is one of the few moments in his web of lies where we still see the real Evan Hansen, where we see that his true identity is still somewhere inside of him. In the musical, his speech, of course, comes in the form of a song. It's a musical, y'all. And that song is You Will Be Found. Here are a few of those lyrics. Let that lonely feeling wash away. Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay. Because when you don't feel strong enough to stand, you can reach out your hand and someone will come running and I know they'll take you home. You all, this is where you're like, I'm so glad she's not singing this. Even when the darkness comes crashing through and when you need a friend to carry you, when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. There's a place where we don't have to feel unknown and every time that you call out, you're a little less alone. If you only say the word from across the silence, your voice is heard. Evan reminds the school and the larger audience, once the speech goes viral, that we are not alone. It's a similar reminder to the one God gives the Israelites in exile. It's a similar reminder to the one I received when I saw that photo of the Carina Nebula. We are not alone in our journeys. We can come together to do good in the difficult moments, even in the moments of deep personal struggle. I'm going back and forth here, y'all. Just bear with me. I promise I have a a reason. The Webb Telescope has a pretty impressive history. It was a collaborative effort over the past 25 years. The creation of this telescope involved thousands of people from over 14 different countries who helped in its innovation and getting it into actual space. It was not done by one person or one nation in a vacuum by themselves. It was only created when people came together, when people came together to remind one another that they were not alone, when they set aside their own self-interest for a larger purpose. God reminds us that we should not fear, that we are not alone in the waters, in the fire, in the sea of life. We are not alone. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 8. When I look up at the skies, at what your fingers made, the moon and the stars that you set firmly in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? It's a fair question of the psalmist. Who are we? to claim God's love? Who are we that God would claim us as God's own? And yet, God does. God loves us. 
God claims us as God's own. Our personal journeys, our personal struggles, they open our eyes to the reality of the world. Our struggles and our celebrations are all a part of a larger journey that brings each of us closer to our creator. God is the one who gives us our identity. We are gods, even in the midst of struggles. We are gods. A theologian, Jeff Chu, wrote this blessing that we're actually going to end with today after seeing my favorite photo, the Carina Nebula. Let's pray. May the magnitude of the universe summon in us an appropriate smallness. May the majesty of the distant galaxies stir in us true humility. May the light of faraway constellations remind us of the holy fire within. May you remember that the same wild creativity that kindled the stars also etched beauty into your body. May our awe yield hope. May our gratitude inspire grace. May our wonder stir love. Amen.